In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. A number of you have asked how Presbytera is doing. And I have to say that she's getting pretty uncomfortable. Our baby girl is getting large. She's almost in her eighth month now. And so you can see her movements, the little elbows and, and knees moving around, jostling inside of the womb. She's awake at night a lot. She's getting bigger and bigger. I imagine what it's like there for her. It must be crowded inside that womb with no room to move around, turning and jostling for space. It seems very constricting or hemmed in. Now, of course, for a baby, that's all that the baby has known. But for us, that would feel incredibly constricting. It's not unlike what we're experiencing right now in a different way. Stay home, stay safe. This is the phrase of the day. And it feels like we are stuck in this confined space with little room to move around. We're given certain things that we can do, other things we can no longer go to work for many of us. People aren't able to get together with their friends to go to the places that they like to go to, to go out to dinner. All of these things are encroachments upon the life that we knew. And so we feel crowded. We feel confined, though not crowded in the sense that there are a lot of other people. We feel rather isolated. But still, we feel like there are all of these strictures around us. I was reminded of a monastic saying that is a very pertinent saying for us right now. Stay in your cell, and your cell will teach you everything. They sound like harsh words. First of all, using the word cell makes you think of a prison cell. But the room that a monk in a monastery stays in is called his or her cell, or a, a nun. And this saying has great depth and meaning, especially for us right now. Stay in your cell, and your cell will teach you everything. What is this saying? It is saying that God will provide for us within our own confined life exactly what we need for salvation. And for a nun or a monk in a monastery, that tiny little room, it may only be eight feet by eight feet, if that, maybe smaller, that little room is the place of their salvation, is the place where everything gets worked out, the place where we die to our old self and our new self arises, renewed in Christ and in God's grace. That little self, everything that is needed for salvation is in that little cell. And for every cell, every single monastic cell, that's the place where salvation occurs. But this statement is true for us, as I've just said. Because God is providing within the strictures of our own life everything that we need for salvation. And most of us are experiencing that right now. We're realizing things about ourselves that we didn't realize. When we had more freedoms and we were moving around more and doing other things and had more distractions, it was easier to not see these sides of ourselves. But now when things have become more confined, more reduced, 
more simplified. We start to see both the beautiful things of the people around us and also the not so beautiful things of ourselves. And so we can begin that journey of salvation within the confines of ourselves. When we're struggling, as in right now, we're trying to make sense of things. Why does it have to be like this? Why do we have all of these restrictions? Is it justified? Are our leaders doing the right things or the wrong things? Do I need to do this? All of these questions surround in our minds when we're in struggle, trying to make sense of things, as we might say. And that's sort of a common saying, I'm just trying to make sense of things. But what's actually going on there? What's actually happening is we're asking why. Why is this happening? Why is this situation upon me and in my life? This is my trying to make sense of things. Well, there's a wonderful book by St. John Chrysostom. It was a letter that he wrote to uh, the people who were faithful to him when he was being persecuted as the patriarch of Constantinople, and he was in exile. And he wrote this, this letter to them that's now published as a book called On the Providence of God. A wonderful book. I very highly recommend it. And in this book, he talks much about God's providence and about that whole thing of asking, why? Why me? Why is this happening? And he says this, since you know all of the things that God has done and he has made himself known, those things through which he has acted, through which he will act, do not be inquisitive. Do not be unduly concerned. Do not say, why is this? To what end is this? One does not inquisitively question a doctor when he cuts and cauterizes and applies bitter ointments, but he lies in silence, undergoing all that, and is grateful for the cauterizing, the cutting, the ointment, even though the outcome is uncertain, for many doctors have killed a great number of patients by performing these procedures. You see, St. John Chrysostom is making that analogy with a doctor. Because with a doctor, so often we don't, we don't say, well, what exactly, how does this work? We might ask some questions, certainly. But there's an element of trust in the doctor. The doctor knows what's best. The doctor knows how these things interact in my body and heal me. And yet with God, we don't give him the same, the same liberties. We say, why does this have to happen to me? Why is this happening right now, Lord? I'm reminded of that passage from the epistle of St. Paul to the Hebrews, that passage where he says so many times, by faith, by faith. We read this on the Sunday of Orthodoxy. We'll read it on All Saints Sunday as well. And in this passage, St. Paul is talking through all of these great Old Testament characters who have endured by faith. He says, by faith, Noah built an ark. Imagine that, building an ark nowhere near water, and a massive ark that would take many, many weeks to build. And all the people around him saying, what are you doing? What are you doing? 
And St. Paul says again, by faith, Abraham, what did Abraham do? He left the land he knew and went and became a stranger in another land. And our Lord said to him, you will be the father of many nations. And yet that one child, the one child that was not even believed that he would have, by his, his wife at least, that's the child that he's asked to sacrifice by faith. And by faith, Jacob was enduring the bitter treatments of his father-in-law. By faith, Joseph allowed to be thrown into the well and then was saved and all of the amazing things that happened in Joseph's life. And so St. Paul goes on and he says, what more shall I say? For time would fail for me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, received promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, won strength out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead by resurrection. Those are the great things that occurred. But it continues. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and scourging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, of whom the world was not worthy. These are the ones also by faith. By faith, great things occurred, and by faith, great struggles occurred as well. And so St. John Chrysostom, in his book on the providence of God, continues up where St. Paul left off, and he says, having thus so many proofs of God's providence, the lives of Joseph, of Abraham, of Moses, of Noah, and all of these great people within our faith, having so many proofs of God's providence in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, in the present life and in the life to come, in that which will be, in that which is, in that which is accomplished each day, in that which is at the beginning, in that which is at the middle, in that which is at the end, in those things that are continuous, seeing from every side a blizzard of proofs that proclaim God's providence, do you still doubt? You have a master who is more tenderly loving than a father, more caring than a mother, more amorous than a bridegroom or a bride in love, who regards your salvation as his own peace. This is our God. In our own lives, it's hard. It's hard that we can't see why things happen. This is one of the most difficult things in life. We can't understand why. It can be a crisis of faith if we're not careful if we're not nurturing our spiritual lives, drawing close to our Lord, because it can say this shouldn't happen. That can be our next conclusion. Why is this happening? I can't figure it out. Therefore, this shouldn't happen. And so we can fight against the circumstances of our lives. And right now, I know myself, I've done a lot of fighting against the circumstances of our current situation, and it gets nowhere. Stay in your cell, and your cell will teach you everything. The problem, fundamentally, is that our perspective is limited. 
We don't really believe in our heart of hearts that God is working through the very things that are right in front of us. And we don't know what he's doing with those things. We don't know. So St. John gives us some final consolation. He says, wait for the outcome. Because we may not be able to see why things are happening right now, but we will. And that outcome may very well be at the very end of our lives and into eternal life. But he says, wait, don't come to your own conclusions. This is another passage from St. John. If you are so curious and inquisitive about God's will, wait for the final outcome and see how things turn out. And do not be thrown into confusion. Do not be troubled at the start. When an inexperienced man sees at first a goldsmith melting the gold and then mixing it with ashes and chaff, if he does not wait until the end, he will think the gold is ruined. Then he gives an even better analogy here of a farmer. If a man who has been born and raised on the sea, a sailor, is completely ignorant and is completely ignorant of how to care for the land, he is suddenly moved to the interior of the country when he sees the wheat that has been stored away and protected behind closed doors and bars and kept free from moisture, as if he were a sailor on the sea, all of the wheat would be very carefully kept away from moisture. It would be stored in the best of circumstances. Suddenly he sees it brought out by the farmer, scattered and thrown about, lying on the ground before all passers-by, and not only kept free from moisture, but given over to mire and mud without protection. Will he not consider the wheat to be ruined and pass judgment on the farmer who did these things? But this condemnation does not come from the nature of what is done, but from the inexperience and folly of him who is not judging well, casting his ballot immediately at the outset. If he waited for the summer and saw the fields waving, the sickle sharpened, and the wheat that has remained scattered and unprotected and rotted and ruined, given over to the mire, but now raised up and multiplied, appearing in full bloom, having put away that which is obsolete, set upright with great strength, as though having guards and a watch, raising its stock up high, delighting the beholder, as well as providing nourishment and great benefit, then he would be highly amazed that by way of such conditions, the fruit has been brought to abundance and splendor. For the farmer waits the winter. Is it not so much more before him who cultivates the whole world as well as our soul? Is it fitting for you to wait to the final outcome? But by outcome, I do not mean only the outcome in the present life, for often it will be here as well but also in the life which is to come. God's economy is directed toward a single end in each of these lives, our salvation. My brothers and sisters, we must wait for the outcome. And the hardest part of waiting is that we don't know when the outcome will appear. But we know, we know that we have a loving God 
who is working our, our salvation with the things that are right in front of us. And this returns us to our cell. Stay in your cell and your cell will teach you everything. The people who are right in front of you, the walls that are around you, the things that are inside your home, the work that you have to do, everything for your salvation is right in front of you. Everything for our salvation is right in front of us. I know this time is very hard. And we ask the questions as the time goes on. How much longer? Why is this enduring for so long? What will come of it? While I can't answer those questions in specific, I can answer them very specifically in another way. God is working out our salvation. And he's working it out through everything that is going on around us. And to him be glory now and ever and to ages of ages. Amen. <clears throat>